Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. Welcome to this discussion of the 2017 Strategic Cybersecurity Investment Study. What key investments will top institutions make to respond to evolving threats? As some background, 65% of security leaders consider their organization's security postures to be above average or superior as compared to peers in their sectors. But only 29% say that they're very confident in the effectiveness of their security controls, and nearly half say they have gaps in detecting threats before they can compromise systems or data. These are but some of the findings of the 2017 Strategic Cybersecurity Investment Study we recently conducted, and I'm discussing these findings today with Tom Pagler. He's the Chief Risk and Chief Security Officer at survey sponsor Newstar. In this excerpt of an interview I recorded with Tom, we discussed the survey results and how to use them. Tom, we had lots of discussions about what we thought this survey was going to teach us. In what way would you say that the results either validated or challenged some of the assumptions you had going into the study? You know, um, looking at it, it was... Uh, it wasn't surprising some of the answers, but uh, one thing that challenged me the most was the specific question around the funding for 2017 and the top item being staffing, that it wasn't going to be funded. And for me, I rank staff needs as a top priority uh, often and obviously for 2017. I think it's important for you know, any analyzing, responding, training, anything you have to do, you have to have the staff. So I began to second guess myself a bit. But then I realized that there's a very large void in available security prof professionals and resources. And, you know, I think Forbes came out with an article saying by 2019 we would be about 6 million um, positions short. And I think perhaps more people are probably looking to outsource core areas like DDoS mitigation or security operations centers. And obviously at Newstar we offer some of these services, so we can't cut back on staff. We actually have to increase our staff to meet customer demands. And, you know, for me, maybe that helped me realize that the survey is good and that's what the customers need and some other people, but it might not necessarily be relevant to me. Tom, which of these results actually surprised you as you reviewed them? Obviously, the one I just had talked about with the staffing uh, was uh, a bit of a surprise to me. But the other, other one that was, you know, it talks about how do you assess overall cybersecurity posture? And I think it really demonstrates a false sense of security because over 50% say that they're above average or superior, and then another 31% basically say they're average, so you only have 4% assuming they're below average, so that's just not possible, right? It doesn't make sense mathematically. We can't all be above average. So I think there's a bit of a, a false sense of security there. People all think that they're above average. I also saw the benchmarking against peers or regulatory mandates that one, what is your organization's security objective? Um, it's like, you know, hey, I want to be more secure than my peers, or I want to be just as secure as my peers, or, you know, look at the uh, regulatory mandates. And I think that's not a good way to do it. Uh, I think that benchmarking your peers or are looking at regulatory itself just doesn't really work. It really should be a risk-based approach. What they should be saying is, what are my top risks and how am I dealing with them? Because if you just think about your peer, just because your peer might say, hey, I need to protect this large data set, uh, maybe their data set's not encrypted, yours is, so it's not as big a risk for you. So I think the way to do it is really to have a balanced risk-based approach. 
And then the other one that really kind of surprised me is what do you believe to be the biggest gaps? And analytics was kind of right in the middle of 46%. And I really think analytics, no matter what, always kind of has to be the top one because you really can't even evaluate any of the other stuff without knowing your environment. So in the analytics to me is how I understand what my network looks like, what my daily activity is, how my employees engage, what's going on. And so to me, that's like always my biggest gap, no matter what, because we're constantly increasing volume, things are changing, uh, we're, we have employees coming and going. So I always have to analyze what the baseline looks for me, and then I, I deal with everything else. I'm kind of surprised that others didn't just put that as a top risk. Tom, in your experience with your customer base and organizations that you've seen over the years, what is an above average security posture? I, I firmly believe it's a risk-based approach. I think that understanding and identifying your risk and methodically approaching them is the way to do it. So you don't want to just go, I, I have every, you know, it's not a checkbox. It's not a, I have monitoring in place. I have this, I have that. It's a, what is my core function? You know, what, what is it that we do every day? What is our, uh, you know, the, the, the family jewels, the most important thing to us, the secret sauce, secret recipe, how are we protecting that? You know, doing a likelihood impact, making sure that you know where your most vulnerable or your most exposed assets are and how do you then secure those. What would you say fuels the lack of confidence some respondents seem to have in the effectiveness of their current security controls? I think it comes back again to the um, risk-based enterprise risk function. Uh, I think it's if you do have a very robust enterprise risk function with all leaders working together to identify and rank risks, you would feel more secure because you feel like we've at least identified everything, everybody's coming together, and we're taking a very mature approach to quantifying and, and deciding what we're going to address. And so I think those who are probably lacking that don't quite know how to uh, really evaluate the effectiveness of their controls or security controls because they might not necessarily know what they need to um, secure. So let's say that we adopt this risk-based approach. How does that translate into an effective way to actually measure one's security posture and whether you are above average or below? Well, I think it's, uh, it's more of a just making sure you have like a robust governance risk and compliance and audit function is how you kind of make sure everything's going well. Because what you're doing then is you're saying, okay, I'm going to do governance. I'm going to figure out how I govern myself. Like, what is it that I need us, you know, we need to do every day? Like, what, what is it that we hold ourselves to? And then you can quantify and rank risk based on that governance. So if the, the governance is, hey, we have to, you know, make sure data is available and protected, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're doing, then you say, okay, so where is the most sensitive data and the data that's used the most? Then you, you kind of quantify and run, rank, rank the risk around that, making sure it's always available and make sure it's secure. And then you have a compliance function ensuring that we're compliant to it, right? So how do I do that as a business owner? Well, the way you do it is you, maybe it's you know, 256-bit encryption or it's uh, you know, a, a certain amount of bandwidth or some kind of DDoS mitigation in place. So that way you know you have it. And then you do some type of audit. These could be external audits. It could be part of like maybe an ISO 2701 um, audit or maybe a customer audit or just internal audits. So then you're checking your work and making sure it happens. So then when you put all that together, you can start saying, you know what, we are above average or we do feel very confident in what, where we're at because 
We have it in place. We're governing to what we think we should, and we're achieving um, certificates. It's working, and you know maybe we're passing customer audits or whatever it be. Tom, from your perspective, how can organizations invest resources not just to defend against the threat du jour, but also to be somewhat future-proofed against tomorrow's variants of these threats? Now, I think that's a really good uh, question. And, you know, obviously, as I said, the risk-based approach, you're looking at your key areas. But I think it's really important to look at things such as a red team, um, so constantly testing yourself even harder than like an audit would be like, you know, have, have groups try to actually penetrate and get into secure places. Um, I think hunt teams are also really good uh, where they're just constantly looking for issues. And uh, even if you can't afford a hunt team, maybe make it something where it's uh, uh, your staff gets to do it or something. Some of the coders or some of the, some of the security folks, you just say, Hey, you know, every, every, uh, Third Friday, we're going to take four hours. We're all just going to go hunt around and see what we can find, what holes. I think having robust contacts is also really important. Uh, you know, if I start to see an issue, um, I will probably reach out to other chief risk officers, chief security officers, CISOs that I know and say, hey, have you seen something similar? And maybe they have, maybe they haven't, and we'll start talking. So you have to kind of maintain your contacts and make sure you know who to call, maybe someone in your industry or someone that you rely on. Because by sharing information, we might get in front of something. So if I see something anomalous, but I can't really figure it out, but then you know, three or four of my peers in other industry uh, or other companies also see it, or maybe in law enforcement, whoever it is, uh, we can start putting something together. And there's multiple ways you can do that through the um, IT or uh, FS, ISAC, the uh, Information Sharing Analysis Centers with the government. Um, and then finally, analytics, I think is just really important. I already harped on it a few times, but knowing your environment is really key because if there's some zero day or something new happening, I might not be able to detect what that is, but I will see something that's unusual, maybe just uh, a data moving where it shouldn't move, um, things that should be available not being available, or uh, other anomalous things that would alert, and then we can go dig a little bit deeper and try to figure out what is that, and maybe it's some kind of zero day or some kind of future uh, threat we just can't identify yet, but we'll at least know where the uh, issues occurring. You know, I think one of the most interesting questions we asked, I've got to credit this to your team because it's where the, the question originated, was what are you not going to be able to do in the coming year as a result of resource constraints, whether that's money or people? In your experience, from what you see, what are organizations not being able to get to? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And um, I don't think it's that people are not doing specific things. I think they're still trying to do it all, but as we saw earlier, they don't have enough staff to do it all. So what they're doing is what I would call like thin peanut butter rain. You take a, a chunk of peanut butter, you got a huge piece of bread and you're trying to spread it out and cover everything and, and the area is just not going to hit there. And what, what you find is like, for example, I need to monitor something and I need you know, eight bodies on there, but I only got four. I'm going to continue to monitor, but now people are doing twice the amount of work that they should. So I think that that's where we're really seeing the constraints. And again, if you went to like a risk-based model and said, okay, here's our top risk. If I get you know eight bodies, this is what I'm going to do with these eight bodies and everything else is going to be dropped. That's actually a better way to approach it because it's very clear as to what we're not going to address. Um, the other thing is too is again, as I mentioned, you could start outsourcing. So if you say, okay, I have eight bodies, this is what they're going to do. And because we can't cover this, I recommend we bring you know the DDoS mitigation in from an outsourced source or something like that. 
We also asked about who is involved in the decision-making process for planning strategic cybersecurity investments. Again, from your perspective, who should be on that team and how do we get all of this, these diverse players on the same page? I think everyone should be there. And what I mean by that is uh, every business owner. So here at Newstar, we run a very robust risk council. It meets monthly, uh, compliance and risk council. And we actually have a risk registry, so every risk is identified on there. So every um, pretty much direct report of our CEO uh, would run an organization. So it's them and usually their right-hand person come to the, the council meeting. Obviously, not all of them can make it every month, but there is a representative from each team. And what we do is we look through it and we say, okay, what are the risks? And we do follow a, a very um, uh, established uh, likelihood impact model. So we all we put our risks in there. We say, okay, what's the likelihood of this? What's the impact? And then we all agree to what we're going to address. And, and that's how all the decisions are made and what we fund. Because we say, okay, here's the top you know, concerns, risks, and here's how we're going to address them. And in some cases, um, security might not be paying for them. It might be that, hey, here's a risk, and, and you know, hey, marketing, it's in your area or product, and we recommend you do this, this, and this to address it. And then they just budget into their project. So that way security doesn't have to worry about um, funding everything throughout, it's actually kind of built into the, the plan and into the, uh, you know, basically the whole budget uh, cradle to grave. Uh, so we, we, we just don't even think of security not being part of it. Switching topics, one of the, the holy grails today seems to be this notion of achieving the frictionless customer experience. How do you recommend that organizations best find that balance between pure cybersecurity and convenience for their users or for their customers? So I actually don't think it's a balance. I think what we need to do is start making security part of the solution. So personally, I'm getting more upset now with the amount of times my credit card has had to, has been like compromised and had to be reissued because I constantly have to go in and then go re-update my credit card. I have automatic payments going or passwords that are stolen from some type of breach more so than any second factor authentication or anything else I'd have to do. So I actually think what we should be doing is good designs that are making security the easiest option. So basically, if I go in and it's like I type in a password and then, you know, my, and then they need my phone and there's a code and I enter that, as a consumer, I'm happier because even though it takes more time than maybe just putting a password going in, it takes a lot less time than dealing with the repercussions of my stuff being taken. So I think the more that we start to use security to show that it actually reduces the friction and it reduces the inconvenience later, I think consumers are now at the point where they want that. And I think we're seeing it more and more. It's not as uncommon to want two-factor authentication. You're starting to see um, even like, you know, uh, ATMs, uh, I, I see some, some of the banks are saying, you know, hey, cover your, your hand as you enter your code and stuff like that to make sure a camera's pick it up. And as, a, as consumers, we're, we're wanting that. We want to know how to secure ourselves and protect ourselves. And I think that um, historically we didn't do that because we want to make everything to seem secure and safe and easy. But by actually showing consumers, hey, we're in this together and working with you, uh, we can make sure that there's a more inconvenience in the future. It's the better way to do it. And that is the holy grail. So aside from the threats that we all know about, the ransomware, the IoT, uh, botnets, business email compromise, DDoS, what are some of the non-threat trends that you see influencing the cybersecurity spend today? 
I think it's just going to be analytics and automation. I mean, our data volume is increasing so significantly day to day, just of everything happening, everything going on. Uh, we're going to need more and more uh, ways to automatically identify who's who, correlate the data, and just know when the anomalous activity is happening. Uh, just because every every year, but actually every day, um, the amount of volumes of data that is coming in and the things that are going online and the tracking is getting more and more. So it's not just the threat, it's getting a control of being able to understand what looks normal and what ties back to somebody. So how do I know Tom Pageler is Tom Pageler and that he's coming to me is through things, you know, analytics of, okay, this is an IP address we've seen before and this is the device he's used before. This is the password that is associated with him. This is coming to the phone that we know is in good order, that kind of stuff. Tom, talk to me about Newstar. How are you helping organizations to rethink their cybersecurity investment strategies? Uh, I think kind of some of the things I just talked about. I mean, uh, we do link traditional offline identity verification, such as name, address, phone, email, et cetera, with, you know, 21st century digital identity data, such as IP address, geolocation, cookie, device ID, synthetic ID, and other attributes to give a holistic view of the consumer and the device along with linkage, confidence in the relationship between them. You know, is Tom Pager actually coming from this area and is that his phone? Um, we also do, uh, through our product offerings, we manage a significant DDoS protection tool, it's SiteProtect, that is constantly learning from attacks. And we have experts 24-7 analyzing internet traffic, anticipating or mitigating attacks on our customers' behalf. Tom, we've really packed a lot into this survey. We, we talked about organization security postures. We talked about how they strategize for future investment, how to future-proof their defenses. We talked about you know, so many topics here, the, the difference between security and, and frictionless experience for the customers. How do you recommend that our audience use our survey results to rethink what they're doing and have an impact at their organizations? You know, I think it's a great question. I think you do it the way I kind of said I did in the beginning. I looked at the questions and answered them myself and said, what do I, you know, what do I think the answer is? And then I kind of looked and saw how the others answered. And then where I varied and, and where anybody would vary, you should analyze if you agree or not with the other respondents. I mean, it's good to understand what others are thinking. However, only you know your own business and your specific risks. So what's important to one, or in this case, the majority, may not necessarily be important to you. So if you want to be a really uh, aware of what you're doing in a cyber world and be the cybersecurity expert, again, I think you need to adopt that risk-based approach. So you say, okay, I'm answering these questions based on the way we anticipate risk. If they're really out of whack, I go back and make sure we're analyzing our risk properly. And if we do think we are, that's great. You're doing it right. Uh, because, as I said earlier, you might just be in a, even though your peer company, maybe you're in the same industry, you just could have different risks. There's just certain things that are more important to you than others. So I think just knowing um, that you could vary is a great way to do it. Tom, I've really enjoyed our discussion today. Thanks so much for your time and your insight. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tom. You've been hearing Tom Pageler, the Chief Risk and Chief Security Officer with Newstar. The topic has been the 2017 Strategic Cybersecurity Investment Study. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.